When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Wednesday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. It's the late national signing day, but this podcast is not about Doug Maurice and Nathan Baird. We're going to look at a couple of big picture things. We're going to talk about how much money Ohio State's athletic department was in the hole in the last fiscal year. I have a bunch of numbers from other programs around the country, other athletic departments around the country. See where Ohio State fits in, and then uh, who cares? What does it mean? I don't want. Uh, who cares about money? What is money? What is money? And then we're going to talk about name, image, and likeness a little bit. And the same thing. Who cares? Well, what does it mean? Like I, I want to talk about how these two things like maybe affect football and men's basketball, like sports, playing on the court, the things that you like. I don't like money. If I like money, I do something other than this. I'm not even sure they pay me. Why would they? There's not. Uh, but I also want to talk about briefly, Nathan, I don't think we've talked about the senior bowl here. And as we're recording this late Tuesday afternoon, it's one of these things. Mary Kay Cabot is there for us doing a lot of Brown stuff. I don't know if she'll have a chance to check in on the Ohio state guys. She's very, very, very busy. She's very, very connected. She goes and talks to everybody in the NFL. Three Ohio state guys are there. Jeremy Ruckert, Haskell Garrett, Tyreek Smith. And I think they are all Nathan, like guys, like, they're exactly who the senior bowl is for. And you like, it's almost like one of those, you set your little remind, uh, you set your, your, your train, your robot to tell you when the tweets come through about Tyreek Smith or about Jeremy Rucker, or you set your Google machine for an alert. I'm, I'm watching them come through the timeline today. It's like, Oh, Tyreek Smith just had a great rush. Beat a guy around the edge. Oh, he looks good. He might be a day three steal. He's a, he's a big impact guy. Potentially. He weighed in 20 pounds lighter than he was listed at at Ohio State. He's listed at 265 at Ohio State, weighed in at 245. Ruckert and Garrett were basically what they were listed at here. So that's really interesting to me. I don't know if he just like lost weight over the course of the year. I don't know if he tried to get leaner for the, you know, the postseason stuff. But those are three guys, Nathan, who were all very good football players here. And I think even Tyreek and Ruckert specifically. Because Garrett was an All-American, right? But both Tyreek Smith and Jeremy Ruckert, I think because of situations, because of injuries, did not have the sustained, obvious, I don't want to say 
success because that's not exactly what I mean. But they weren't the guys who popped off the, the roster necessarily when I think they have talent that might pop off the roster that they're going to show this week and this in this whole process. Both of those guys had moments, certainly, where I think yes. a casual football follower would be coming across an Ohio State game or maybe even see because they both had plays that went viral at some point in their career. I think you could see. Oh man, that guy's an NFL kind of guy. Like that play is an NFL kind of play. What they don't have is counting stats. Tyreek Smith, partially because he had trouble staying on the field for the variety of injuries over the course of his career, including this season. Jeremy Rucker, because he's a tight end in a system that doesn't throw to the tight end all that much. So that you're right that I think this is exactly the kind of showcase that both of those guys can really thrive in because if Tyreek Smith at full health, which we also saw this past year is pretty special at times. Like I'm not saying not chase young special, but still a, a real like verging on kind of a game record kind of player at times when he's fully healthy and engaged and, and out there and, and able to take advantage of his skills and, and record we've always said like the, the package is there. It's just a matter of how do you utilize it? How does Ohio state utilize it relative to other teams? He can go into a showcase like this and what may only be a three or four receiving opportunities over the course of a game or, or several over the course of a week can still stand out because it's in this sort of vacuum of, of just the senior bowl. He can, he can show some things and maybe be put in some situations that he wasn't always put in at Ohio state. So I, I agree with you. I think both of these guys are, it reminds you a little bit to a lesser scale, maybe because obviously, you know, 2017, 2018, Ohio state had some really talented receivers come through this program, but none of them had like, the counting stats that they've been putting up since then, frankly, like so what, you know, the counting stats that the receivers put up in this program last year. So they got to go to the combine, run some numbers, do some other things and, and elevate their draft status. And these are guys who I think could do a similar thing, both this week. And then when the combine happens next month, all right, it's this month, isn't it? It's February already. Yeah. Yeah. It's late February. Um, I do think I like I, I I agree with you about the counting stats, but I even just think like it's film, right? It's not just even mm-hmm. like to the average to fans and media. It's like even to the scouts and stuff. I mean, there's not a ton of film of like Jeremy Ruckert getting thrown the ball. So then he goes to the senior bowl or goes to the combine and and they'll all lift and run and do all their stuff. But just like playing football, like go play football. It's like, oh, let's throw this guy a bunch of passes. Oh, that looks pretty good. And Tyreek Smith, sort of the fits and starts a little bit to his career at times. He doesn't have as many pass rushing snaps as, you know, Tyquan Lewis had when he was here. But when you start to dig in on him, uh, you know, I'm thinking about if in, in a world where Tyquan Lewis was uh, a guy picked right at the end of the second round, Sam Hubbard was a third round pick, Jalen Holmes was a fourth round pick, Jonathan Cooper was a seventh round pick. I mean, I, I could see Tyreek Smith going in the fourth round, and and I could see somebody being like, hey, "This guy's too good. We're not like we're going to take him in the nineties. We're going to take him late in the third, right?" That like what? Because his upside, when you catch it all together, it's like holy moly! It's one of those things everybody wants somebody to be a day three steal, and it's like you keep doing it in the process. It's like, oh, you're not going to be a day three steal because someone's going to take you at the end of day two because they don't think you're going to last till very long on day three. And then Rucker just didn't get thrown the ball. And we talked a lot about, he put a lot of good blocking film out there, but you know, they like to throw to tight ends. George Kittle wasn't a huge, uh, hugely high draft pick. 
And I'm not saying he's George Kittle, but it's like some, there are guys, you don't have to get thrown the ball a ton, but you have to at some point show people you can do it. And this is their time. So if you care about this stuff, listeners right now, just like search for Jeremy Ruckert, search for Tyreek Smith, search for Haskell Garrett on Twitter or whatever, because there are going to be people noting them this week at the senior bowl because they have a chance to make some money. You know, Ruckert to me is is a really interesting one because we th- when they have thrown him the ball, sometimes when they've only merely thrown the ball in the vicinity of him, he's made some pretty impressive catches over the course of his career. Some like highlight reel catches in big games. So that means something. And I think that that film is out there. The one wrinkle for him, though, was I think he, for the first time, had some film that might count against him a little bit this past year. There were some drops. There were some moments he definitely wants back. So that's the other reason why I think like this week is, is big for him. And then, you know, getting to the combine and measuring and and doing some of those athletic performances, I think will also be big for him. So I think the game's on Saturday, but so that could be fun to watch. So watch the game on Saturday, but as you know, like all what matters is the stuff that happens during the week in these practices. So keep an eye on those three Buckeyes in the senior bowl. All right. Let's talk about money. How much did Ohio State lose? So this information came out Tuesday. It's one of those things everybody puts in their their open records request. Ohio State's like, ah, we finally got it done. It's been coming out for everybody. I was actually wondering, it's like, why hasn't it come out for Ohio State yet? Because over the past week or two, it's been coming out for every athletic department in the country, which is why I have a list of where everybody is. Um, This is for the fiscal. Boy, did I have to learn what a fiscal year was. This is for the fiscal. What was month? It's, It's February 2022. This is the fiscal year, like 2020 to 2021, right? Yeah. Like it's like from just, July 1, 2020 to June 30, 2021. Really just think of it as the 2020-21 like academic calendar. It's right. it's, it's similar to that. So it's that football season. It's not the most recent football season. Correct. Because the most recent football season is part of the current fiscal year, which isn't going to end until the end of June. So they, they haven't figured it out yet. But this is the big – so everybody knew this was coming. This is what everybody was planning for. And the big deal is this is the football season where they couldn't sell tickets. So that's what everybody's talking about here. What is the deficit that Ohio State reported for the entire athletic department? And just a quick qualifier, this isn't the same as the athletic budget necessarily because it's an NCAA asks you to fill out certain categories, line certain things up. Certain things might go in here that Ohio State wouldn't necessarily count during that year's budget, whatever. So I'm putting that caveat out there first. You might remember there's a couple of years ago where they showed a $10 million loss before COVID when they had like a $10 million loss and people were like, what? And they were like, no, 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 it's not nearly that bad. You have to count the numbers this way. So we had a whole meeting about it. So anyway, $63.6 million is the difference between revenue and expenses on this report. Ohio State threw in an extra caveat saying that it's actually closer to like low 40s because they spent 20 million on debt service, an additional one-time debt service payment to save them money in the future. So, but 63.6 million is the magic number. Debt service, man. You can do a lot of stuff with debt service numbers because like you're always in debt, like you're always building at Ohio State, you're always building something new and you're having to pay for the thing that you just built, but you don't pay cash money up front for it. And so you like finagle all the stuff. It's like, well, you know, that doesn't really count. That's just money that we're paying for the building that we built 18 years ago. And it's like, well, what are you talking about? It's like a mortgage. 
If I said, well, my mortgage doesn't really count. It's just my credit cards. My, my mortgage, that's not a debt. It's like, yes, it is. So, but also a lot of people say that athletic departments jerk around with the money in a way that shows, oh no, we don't have any money. And they actually have much more money than they claim to have because uh, there's the, the accounting for this, as you said, it depends what form it is. Everyone's supposed to fill it out the same way, but then some schools are like, well, we put that money in this category and other schools are like, well, we put that money in this category. And that's all. It's already too much money talk. 63 million is a lot of money though. Yeah. There is a little bit of funny money here because when you get, sometimes when you get contributions, they have to be, they're earmarked for specific things. So there is revenue that they get that they can only spend on facilities. So that's where things get thrown off a little bit and where they quibble a little bit with, with the NCA numbers. But this is essentially where, I mean, here's, here are the big, the two big numbers. Here's the two big numbers. In 2019-20, full football season, Ohio State brought in something like $56 million in, $56, $57 million in football ticket revenue. In 2020-21, the COVID football season, they brought in, and there's some discrepancy right now, but either number is paltry. It's either like $7,500 or $25,000. So that's that's the whole deficit right there. That makes up everything that we're talking about almost, almost completely. There's some additional loss of revenue for men's basketball and some other sports, but it, it's mostly that they couldn't sell football tickets in 2020. There's nothing surprising about the number that they came up with at the end of the day. So they have done things like reduce staff, yep. right? Have they put people yeah. on furlough? They, they haven't really done it like they didn't. It's not like the coaches. It's not like the program. It's like the, the administrative people have been right. like bearing the brunt of this. And the, the, the thing is, so it's not like, hey, this is going to keep happening. But for the moment, it's like that was $57 million of football ticket revenue that you didn't get that you're never getting back. So, right. so, so what are you going to do? And they have not cut $57 million of stuff. And so then it's like, what are they going to do? Like, how are they going to slowly erase this debt? They might take a loan to do it or whatever. But I also will say that is a boatload of money and it is about the most that you will find in the numbers around the country. And it is one of these things, again, where the biggest athletic, this is how it works. It's how money works. Fuck, I talk. The biggest athletic departments have the biggest hits from this. So I'm going to, these are the numbers that I've gathered. I've gathered, I Googled it. Everybody's writing these stories. Ready? I'm going to run through. So again, the Ohio State number is 63 million, but it might be more like in the 40s, depending if what you want to believe. But the thing they reported for this sake of this comparison, because we don't have all the caveats from the other school, the Ohio State number is 63 that I think we need to have in mind for the comparison here. Here we go. Illinois, 3.2. Purdue, 8.1. Auburn, 9.7. LSU, 10. Nebraska, 12. Oklahoma State, 14. Michigan State, 15.4. Minnesota, 18.3. Maryland, 20.9. Utah, 31. Rutgers, 31.4. UConn, 47.2. Michigan, 47.6. Texas, 48.1. UCLA is like 60-something. UCLA is through the freaking roof. Uh, but that's the biggest one that I had come across until this. So that's as big as any athletic department in the country. And then there's some discrepancy, for instance, and I don't think Ohio State dealt with this. 
Rutgers reported 31.4 million, but they also got like $40 million, like from the state and the university so that they didn't have to report 70. I don't know how Rutgers exists. I'm not sure. I, I don't know that Rutgers didn't fall into the, into the, the Atlantic ocean after the pandemic, because I, I don't, it's not like they're not a financially viable athletic department, but so their number was, so their caveat is like, well, they were 70, but they stole, not stole, but they got handouts from their own university and the state to only get down to 31. But, compare, you know, so Michigan, UCLA, Texas, Ohio State, it makes sense they're the biggest, Nathan, but it's not like everybody is 60 million or 40 million in the hole. Illinois says we're 3 million in the hole. They'll make that up. Brent Bielema can write him a check and clear that debt tomorrow. Yeah, I would be interested in, in getting the full uh, uh, context around all of those numbers because I do think that there is, you know, uh, <laughs> there can be some creative bookkeeping that goes on here. But there's also, I think, if you're Ohio State, there are a lot of programs on that list, a lot of athletic departments on that list that you would not switch places with, even if the note lumber, number is lower, because you know that you have a 100,000-seat uh, stadium that's going to be full until the next pandemic. And all of these, a lot of these other programs, like you mentioned, foreboding. Oh my God, going to be full until the next pandemic. You have a hundred thousand seat stadium that will be full, even if it is filled by zombies. In twenty, Nathan Baird. What year is it? Don't do, don't do this to our future generations. I'm saying in like the year twenty one fifty, when the next pandemic comes, and uh, the the robots will probably take care of it pretty quickly. I hope. we then, can go to the football game because the humans are dead. Doug Lee Maurice, uh, the 17th or whatever we call him that will be uh, yeah. covering that game. No, it because you mentioned whatever Purdue was like 8 million or whatever, but Purdue like in a given year might have a lot of home games where they only get, you know, 30 or 40 some thousand people. And then if you ever hit a rough patch, that's going to plummet Well, that doesn't really happen at Ohio state throwing out the, the weird Tulsa attendance from this past year or whatever. So like I, I Ohio State, I think, probably sees a more rapid return to a stable financial picture than even some schools that supposedly lost less revenue. Some of those schools lost less revenue because they had less revenue to lose. Well, but also the reason Ohio State's in the hole is because they have an expectation for the revenue they're going to get and they spend it all. Yes. They say, we're going to get $57 million from football tickets. So let's build a new facility for the blank team with that money. So they didn't stop building things for the blank team while nobody went to football games. At Illinois and Purdue and everywhere else, they're like, well, we, nah, yeah, what are you talking We don't even have that team. We don't like build a thing for that team. We don't have 36 sports. We couldn't do that. We, it's like going to the, like the uh, what are you? You're like, you go to the poker table. Like I go to the poker table and I sit down with $20. So like, what's going to happen to me at the end of the night? It's like, I'm either going to lose 20 or I might win like 10. Nathan Baird sits down with a thousand dollars. So you increase <laughs> your chances of winning a lot, but you also might lose a thousand dollars. Ohio state is not sitting down with 20 bucks at the poker table. So they got busted, man. And Illinois is like, well, we paid, we play penny slots in Illinois. So like we didn't lose as much. But Ohio State's like, oh, man, we'll get hot again. Just wait till we get back on the field this year. So the question is then this. Does it matter? I have one question about it maybe mattering. So Michigan State 
right? What was the Michigan State number I had? Michigan State was $15.4 million. Michigan State cut men's and women's swimming and diving in the middle of the pandemic. That saved them some money. Ohio State didn't do that. Now, if you want to, if you want to start wiping out your $60 million deficit or your $40 million deficit, you go from 36 sports to 32. That'll help you wipe that thing out in three or four years, or you can just loan yourself into oblivion and just do whatever else and assume have, you know, some booster come in and say, here's $50 million to wipe out your pandemic debt. It doesn't feel like they're there. Like this is like the ongoing thing. I am not, I wouldn't say I am in favor of cutting sports, but I also would say, I do not think you must have 36 sports in your athletic department to serve your student population. Right. I mean, like, that's let's just be realistic about it. They they do it because they can. And when you're 60 million dollars in the hole, it's like, well, can you? I don't I do not think it would be an affront to society for Ohio State to get rid of a sport or two, a sport that a small number of people play and that, frankly, nobody cares about. Why don't well, why don't they have 50 sports? There's a couple sports that people care about that Ohio State doesn't have. Why don't they have them? Because there's not enough interest. They have sports like that right now. But Gene never wants to go there. To his credit, Gene Smith, like that is like a, a, and that's how you end a conversation. You can talk about anything with Gene Smith. When I in the past have been like, why don't you cut some sports? It's like, that's, he does, that's it. There's no conversation to be had. So, I mean, you got a report, you know, in the report, it didn't say we're not cutting sports or, hey, we might cut sports, but I don't think that's where they go for this, right? That would be an actual impact that would have a tangible effect on people. Otherwise, it's just numbers in a ledger. But I don't think that's on the table. Does it feel that way to you? No, because, again, that's something you would have done up front anticipating this. Remember, in September 2020, so we're only a couple months. Well, we're, we're four or five months into the pandemic, I guess, at that point. But Ohio State is projecting a $107 million budget deficit at that point. And then we they got to 36, 30, what did I say, 63. 63.6. Sorry, we're throwing out a lot of numbers here. That's probably telling you that we've thrown out too many numbers. So, and they were only expecting a a fraction of the revenue that they got to. I think about two thirds of the revenue that they ended up getting for that 2020 series. So, you know, you project for the worst case and you you work off of that. But I, I feel like that would have been the time to do that, to to really save the money up front. If you're doing it now, um, again, they're not even saying for sure that they're going to take a loan to cover this deficit that they have, because I think they've, you know, they're already making more revenue off of the football stadium, the football season they got to have last year. So I think they're, they're already getting back into the black so quickly that um, is my assumption. I'm, I'm trying to reach out to Ohio state to get some more clarity on where things stand just in these past since the end of the last fiscal year. So the first half of this fiscal year to see if they, they usually don't like to share potentially good news in case it doesn't turn out to be good news, but just to kind of get some clarity on on where things stand relative to what they might have to do at the end of the year. But it certainly seems like they are pretty quickly progressing back to um, the status quo. And I think you've seen that in just the way, you know, Jim Knowles, $1.9 million, things like that. Like I don't, if they, if they're in a dire situation and 1.9 million out of 234, whatever their usual athletic budget is 220, somewhere up in there, it obviously drop in the bucket, but I think it's still a sign that they don't feel constrained from a spending standpoint right now. So I, I agree that you could have cut it preemptively, but I also think you could cut a sport preemptively. You also could have said, 
We really, 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 really don't want to. We're going we're gonna to skim. We're going to slim down every single thing we can slim down. And then we'll get to where we are. And then it's like, we're still 60 million in the hole. I think we could cut a sport. Like we, we did everything we could because you don't want to preemptively cut it and then be like, oh, well, we just started getting cheaper toilet paper. And it turns out we didn't have to cut that sport, but they already got the cheaper toilet paper and they already got, you know, they're shopping at the discount warehouse, which is where I shop. So I just, I, I, I agree with you, but I also can see the other side of that. I'm like, now we're at the point where we have no other choice, but I don't think it's going to happen. The other thing is this, and we'll do it next to Buckeye Talk. Doug and Nathan, we're going to get to some, uh, Len Kiffin sort of saying some interesting, interesting things about uh, name, image, and likeness on Tuesday they want to talk about because it might have a tangible football effect. Okay, so here's the thing that I wonder about. So Michigan State, they're 15.4 million in the hole. They still give Mel Tucker a gigantic contract, but they gave Mel Tucker a gigantic contract because he maybe was going to take the LSU job if they did. And they wanted to make sure that didn't happen. Penn State extended James Franklin, but I think they decided, yeah, we want to keep this guy. We don't want to take the USC job or whatever job. So Ryan Day, like, is not it, like this has passed. And you texted about this the other day, Nathan, that we're, we're, we're kind of past the NFL Ryan Day flirtation for this year. And I do want to talk about Jim Harbaugh. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, that Jim Harbaugh is going to be like interviewing for a head coaching job in the NFL on National Signing Day. Imagine if that was happening with Ryan Day. Holy moly, what would this podcast be if Ryan Day was interviewing with the Minnesota Vikings on Wednesday instead of Jim Harbaugh or along with Jim Harbaugh? It'd be like a recruiting trip. It's like Jim Harbaugh and Ryan Day don't know about it. And they get there and they sit down like in a little lobby outside the office of, uh, of the, the decision makers for the Vikings. And like they're both there. Like we hear those recruiting tale stories. Ryan Day is not doing that. Jim Harbaugh is. I thought when the story came out from the dispatch a couple weeks ago, about, hey, 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 you never know. Like, hey, if you're not, uh, Ryan Day might think about the NFL. It's passed. And I don't think it got super hot, right? I think that was there the was... reason for the story. <laughs> that was the well, reason for the story. There was, no, if, but we never talked about that. No, I, yeah. right. I mean, this, the story was as hot as it got. I don't right. think, I, I think, I think maybe, I think, I mean, I don't, I don't know that Ryan Day was like, I don't think he was like pursuing stuff. Right. I don't think he was like, oh, no, no, I want this. It's like you take calls, you make calls, whatever your agents dorking around. I mean, it's just what agents are, are paid to do. But that was I do think that was the peak of the hotness, the public story citing sources about that. We talked about that at the time. So. Lots of people got raises this offseason. Lincoln Riley went and got a new job and got paid a lot of money, like got people are getting raises. I don't know where Ohio State is with that right now. But I think if the pandemic hadn't happened, we would already have news about a Ryan Day raise and extension. And we don't yet. And I'm not saying it's not going to happen this offseason, but that's maybe, Nathan, the one thing that I'm wondering if that would be a tangible effect, that maybe there is not an extension and raise for Ryan day now because Ohio State's like, man, we, we're trying to get rid of this 40, 50, $60 million thing. Like you're good. We love you. Like just we'll get, we'll get you, we'll get you, but let us work on this first. This is not a time to increase the head coach's salary by 
$2 million a year. Because on one hand, stuff like this is a drop in the bucket. But on the other hand, how do you fill a bucket drop by drop? <laughs> Was that like philosophy just boom right in your lap or what? Every journey starts with a thousand steps or whatever to that thing too. So I could see that. And like Ryan Day didn't, I don't think took a pay cut during the pandemic when some other people were, right? So not that that's, I mean, not that you have to, but did um, the all He, Holtman, like a lot of people did take a, I'm going to say, I'm going to use the word small. I hope, I'm sure it didn't seem small to them, but like a relatively small pay cut, like a lot of the, the coaches did, but they all got their bonuses too. Right. So, so, so anyway, so I'm just saying, I wonder about that. I'll be watching for that to see, because I think if in a world where James Franklin and Mel Tucker got new contracts and Lincoln Riley got a big fancy new job, I think in a typical world, this offseason would include a Ryan Day raise and extension. And I think maybe it won't because of the pandemic. And then not that it puts pressure on stuff, but then it's like, he's probably like they're going to have to right if they have a good year right then you have to do it next year uh do you think that's possible do you think that could be one of the tangible effects of this yes i i it's possible and it's obviously easy to look at what ryan day is supposed to make in 2022 which i think is around 7.6 million and think that that is underpaid relative to the market because of those things that you were citing before however it's also hard to look outside of that and think that Ryan day that Ohio state hasn't done right by Ryan day so far. I mean, they have already given him a couple extensions and raises so far early in his career. They, you know, he got all those bonuses last year, which for him were significant. And on top of that, which I think is an important correlation to all this, as I already mentioned, the assistant coaching salary pool has increased. They were at 7.65 million last year. Right now, by my count, they will be at 8.2. And that doesn't include raises that we know are coming for Tony Alford for we believe are coming Tony Alford, Brian Hartline, uh, maybe Larry Johnson, maybe Kevin Wilson. They haven't announced any uh, raises for those guys. So Ohio State's going to be over $8 million. I think Clemson was the only program over 8 million last year and Clemson's going to go back. Ohio State might have the largest assistant coaching pool in the country this coming year. And I, that's something to always keep in mind when you're looking at head coach compensation too, because uh, it's not that those numbers play off of each other necessarily, but if I'm Gene Smith and you're coming off your worst season of three so far, I know what the market is. I know where other people are putting their coaches in the market. You're coming off your worst of three seasons and I'm going out and spending to get you anybody and everybody you want for your staff. Like, I don't know. Something's got to give at some point. Yeah. Right. No, I think that's fair. And again, to, I mean, they're all making a boatload of money, too much money, frankly. I mean, in a, in a normal functioning society, college football coaches should not make this much money. I'm not trying to take money out of anybody's pocket. In a normal functioning society, this is not how we would do it. But we are where we are. Frankly, in a normal functioning society, we would not do five college football podcasts a week all year long. That's insane. Why do people want to listen to college football talk in May and June and July? Go to a beach, go to the mountains, go hike in the woods. You don't, but people like it because we're all crazy. We're all crazy for sports. To be fair, you could go hiking and listen to Buckeye talk. No, but that's, I think people always say when you're out in nature, you shouldn't have headphones on. They want you to, that's part of the, what's the point of walking in nature and listening to this instead of a chirping bird? Plus a bear might get you if you don't hear it coming from behind. Watch out, there's a bear. 
I'm going to just start doing that occasionally, only in the summer. In the summer, once a podcast, I will say, watch out, there's a bear, in case there is. I think we should actually redirect our efforts towards getting more bears to listen to Buckeye Talk. Because then they'll just be all wrapped up in what we're talking about. And they won't be out hunting, folks. But you could say like they'd be docile and like tired and sleepy, like oh, this is too much for them. Or it might make them like even angrier and more aggressive. <laughs> yeah. What happened with this bear? Well, we put headphones on it, and this guy started screaming in the bear's ear, and the bear ate four people. <laughs> so, in a normal functioning society, this is wouldn't be how it works, but it is how it works. But I think then in that world, there are times when the head coach says, "Pay my guys." Like that's 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 my priority. Pay my guys. A because they're my guys, and I want something for them because I was one of those guys once upon a time and, and whatever I'm making is a heck of a lot more than the assistants are making, but also because I want the best guys. And I do think, I think we can confirm that Tony Alford and Brian Hartline are getting raises. Cause like Ryan day yeah. said it when it was yeah. like, Hey, what's the deal with promotions? Like, well, teams are trying to poach your, your guys when you're a successful program. So we gave them title bumps and we gave them raises and that's what you do to make sure you keep good people. So I think that is definitely coming for Heartline and Alpha. And that I do think, and again, it's the strategy of this and it, you know, it dampens some of my um, snarkiness about it to some degree, because they are doing this. They're going to potentially have the highest paid assistant coaching staff in the country with two guys making very low salaries. Like all that money is going to eight guys, like the eight guys they have now who aren't Corey Dennis and Parker Fleming are like as highly paid and as qualified as any collection of assistance as you could find anywhere in college football and, and Fleming and Dennis both had contracts that expired at the end of last month yesterday so um, they'll be getting new deals for these next two-year period too probably more modest raises but I bet probably making more than they did last year they th- those guys sometimes stay down there for a while that, and that is how staffs work I mean that's they do it on purpose you can't have 10 veteran guys you've got to parcel it out if you want to pay four guys a million dollars a year you have to have some guys who aren't making that much so um, I don't think it's a huge deal, but I think it's something to monitor if that is the effect of this. Any other like tangible, what? No, oh, the, I, this is the other tangible thing that we have to be on alert for. And I will say over my career doing this, I hear, we hear, especially now with the texters, we hear from season ticket holders at time and we hear about, they feel like they're getting gouged on parking or they feel like, hey, I had these seats and now they've been in my family for years and now they're asking for this donation so I can keep my seats or they're going to move me here. I mean, that this is the kind of thing that happens in sports and it's not great, but it's also sort of how it works. And I do think sometimes there is a balance between let's let somebody who's great grandparents got season tickets 70 years ago, have tickets for 70 years, but also there are other people who want to get in and might be willing to pay a little more to get in. And their grandparents didn't live in central Ohio 70 years ago. So there's a balance and I understand all of it. And there's a lot of people, but I do think at the moment, probably if you want to get in, you can get in Um, because they did, they have eight home games coming in the fall. They did sort of discount the overall packages for some of those. Um, And, Again, I know it's expensive, but we have to be on alert, Nathan, because I don't think what it is fair to do is take this loyal, longstanding, huge, invested, passionate fan base and say, well, we'll just charge them more. Like, oh, how are you going to make that $50 million back? Could you maybe like do away with one of the sports teams that 
literally nobody cares about. It's like, no, 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 no. We'll just make parking for the football games more expensive. It's like, well, who is that serving exactly? So I do think I'm not, I'm not saying Ohio State is doing that now because I actually think the season ticket package that they announced a couple months ago with the eight games that they have, it's a good, it's a good, it's a good season, season ticket year. I mean, it's a good year for fans. Notre Dame, Michigan, Iowa, Wisconsin. That's four of the eight home games. That's, that's about as good as it gets. So in conclusion, that would be tangible. So I do think, Nathan, it's our responsibility to try to be on alert from that. We try to be open in hearing that from you guys. Maybe sometimes we're not as responsive as we should be. We try to stay on top of that. But I do think in this situation, it's more important than ever because that's not a fair way to make this up. We all went through the pandemic together. And guess what? Everybody got pinched in the pandemic. So like, hey, I got pinched in the pandemic and, and the cost of loving my team went up because they got pinched. That's not, that's not the final solution here. I don't think it is, but we have to watch for that, right? Yeah, I mean, within reason, I think there are some things, like especially with that slate of games. If Ohio State came out and it said uh, all season tickets are going to be $20 more expensive, you know what I mean? Like there's a there's a there's a balance there because there you can charge very little when you're getting 100,000 people a game, you can charge very little and it adds up pretty quickly over the course of 8 games, right? $20 would be like $16 million in revenue over the course of 8 games because you got 100,000 people coming. But there is a point obviously where you you don't you're going to start pushing people away or you're going to start making your fans, you know, resent the support. So I think it is something worth monitoring, but I just don't know that Ohio State will have to do that because again, it underlying they foundationally with their athletic budget when all this stuff was happening across the country, they knew as soon as this ended and it ended, it was really, it was just the one season. As soon as that ended, you're back to hundred thousand people but, a week. So, the, but then let me ask this, how are they going to make it up? Cause every budget, every year they spend is everything they take in. They never have a surplus and maybe they're just playing with the numbers, but like, Every budget I've ever looked at the end of the fiscal year, it's like we took in $128 million in revenue and we spent $128 million in expenditures. It's like, well, that was convenient. So, so as, as the release said, as the report said today, they're considering taking a loan at the end of this year that would then just get folded into future budgets. Know, but you have to pay off the loan. You have to right. make money at some point to pay off a loan as far as I understand them. You do. What I'm... <laughs> <laughs> but you get to spread it out over many years. It's like the way pe- a lot of people buy cars, for instance, like a $40,000 car sounds expensive, but a lot of people out there are driving them because they spread it out over seven, eight years. So what I'm also saying is the thing to remember the, the season ticket model changed or is changing. So the revenue source is going to change for that too. The people are paying those sort of like personal licenses essentially. And I think they're expecting a, a growth in revenue from that. That's going to help offset this deficit as it goes forward. But at some point, so say you are $50 million in debt. That splits the difference between the 40 and the 60 numbers. Say it's 50. You have to have a surplus of $10 million a year for five years in a row to get that back to even. And like, I'm just saying, like, it doesn't feel like this is an athletic department that by their bookkeeping typically makes $10 million a year. Like something, so I, it, they've got to squeeze. Now they did squeeze, right? I mean, they they said they might be $100 million in the hole and they're 60 or 50 instead. So they clearly cut back on some stuff. I'm assuming some of the stuff they cut back on is a permanent cutback. And again, those are going to be things that don't directly, they're not cutting back on the barbershop for the football team and they're not cutting back on sports, but they're cutting back on the, on the people sort of behind the scenes, I think. But a lot of that was one-time 
during the pandemic stuff when you're cutting you're cutting jobs uh, some of those jobs haven't come back and then when you had right. you know furloughs and, and wage reductions and stuff like that those were more like one time expenses but you're right there are there are some uh, revenue savings that I or expense savings that I think are are now a more permanent part of the budget going forward um I, I do think though they you're right that there's gonna have to be uh to be some adjustment but I think that they are still trying to figure out what the positive adjustment is as far as revenue that goes along with that okay so the way that Ohio so if Ohio State needs to make up this $50 million. They'll might get a loan for it, whatever. But the bottom line is they have to come up with actual another extra $50 million to deal with this deficit right now. They will do that by what? By doing what, would you say? Like the season ticket model increases I, revenue that they steadily make enough that that's where it comes from? Like, what is it? I think a lot of it will be offset just by this new revenue model if i had to guess i mean i think but i mean we're that, saying revenue model we mean charging people more to go to football games depending on the seat yeah so we just said let's make sure they don't gouge the fans we're we're saying the main way they're going to make up a 50 million dollar hole is by charging people more money to go to football games that's our guess well yes but that's that was a model that was going to be in place i think going forward anyway i don't think that was a reaction to the pandemic so maybe you're, there's a quibble there and that's why maybe i don't look at it and say it's gouging the fans it's not because the thing i was saying before was like what if they charge just 20 dollars one time whatever to make 16 million whatever that was just throwing numbers out but this new model that they were going to for season tickets i believe was already in the works before the pandemic happened so this was a model that was going to exist anyway that they think was going to result in more because before you could have you could make contributions to other parts of the university and that counted towards you getting your season tickets. Now all that revenue, I believe I have to go back and look at what I reported a couple of years ago, but we were talking about this at the time that revenue yeah. now goes to athletics and that was always the plan. So it's not just a, a, a one for one thing because of the pandemic. Now it's not like they said, well, because we had the pandemic, we had to find a way to make more football ticket revenue. They were already doing that. Right. That is part of the thing, right? So it's taking money away from the rest of the university potentially that I gave money to that department and it counted towards my, what I have to do to get season tickets. Now it goes all day. Department. Okay. We'll watch it. We'll watch it. We're not accusing anybody of anything yet, but listen, man, I mean, it's not, they're not a nonprofit. This is altruistic. <laughs> they're out to make money and support a whole bunch of stuff. And the people listening to this podcast and reading our stories are the people that are paying for it. So we got to watch out for that. Sorry. And the other thing we have to follow is big 10 rights are about to uh, come up again. There's going to be a new broadcast package pretty soon and who knows how many different avenues that's going to spread into but that's a whole nother that could be another revenue jump that's coming for the athletic department so it could be a thing where when that jump first happens they use more of it to pay off what will again be debt service they're just shifting debt <laughs> you know they paid this 20 million dollars that they don't want to count towards the 63 million dollar deficit but they may have to take a loan at the end of the year to make up for the $20 million that they paid, whatever. You see what I mean? It's like, there's some funny bookkeeping but that every business has. But you know what I'm saying? Like if the revenue jumps because of a new Big Ten network, pack, Big Ten package, then maybe they have to put more of that towards paying off this very recent past deficit than they normally would have. That also is true. That, that's like, what are they going to do? Pull money out of thin air? It's like, yes, they are. Yes. It's just TV rights. <laughs> TV rights are literally fake. out of the thin air, <laughs> I mean, out, of like the, out of the satellites. I mean, yeah. the robots shoot the beams into the air and the beams come through the air and they get injected right into your TV and then football's on it. 
You know what I would do, by the way, to make money like tomorrow and people would be mad for three days. And I have wanted to do a story about this in the Big Ten for a very, very, very long time. It is uh, it is a thing that absolutely drives me bananas. I would sell the naming rights to Ohio Stadium in a, a second. Because guess what? You can still call it Ohio Stadium. They're not thought yes. police. You fan person listening is like, how dare you? So call it whatever you want. You don't have to call it nationwide stadium or whatever, but if it brings in $40 million a year in revenue, it's nothing. It's words. It's nothing. There are so, this is the story I always want to do. I think there's at least three Memorial stadiums in the big 10. Yeah. I think Illinois, Indiana, and Nebraska, I think are all Memorial stadium. There is nothing more meaningless than Memorial stadium. Oh, we're memorializing. What are you memorializing? You don't even know. Just, just generally like people who died at a war, you know who needs to sell the name of the stadium and then call it whatever you want. Call it the big, the big, the big corn husker bowl or whatever. It doesn't matter. Sell the naming rights. It's insane. College football has college sports. They have sold their soul in every possible fashion. They play games on Tuesdays. West Virginia is in a conference with Texas. Coaches make $8 million a year. But, oh, the name of the place where we play the games. I can't make money off that. That's tradition. It's insane. Uh, There is no rational argument against it. None. Other than, what? just call it. Tomorrow. I'll write that this offseason. Tomorrow. Sell them tomorrow. So, I... I agree with you. I think the one thing that might be a stumbling block at Ohio State is I'm looking at business of college sports, which had like a database of, of naming rights deals for college football. Like, for instance, Minnesota's TCF Bank Stadium. It's a 25 year naming rights agreement. You know how much they got for those 25 years? I don't know. A nickel because it's Minnesota football. And nobody cares. Well, OK, but I'm just saying it's 35 million. And if you go look at all of the deals across the country, even at bigger, even at schools that are bigger college football programs in Minnesota, it's kind of in that same neighborhood, one, two million dollars a year on average. Now, Ohio State can probably get more. What's I'm just the biggest that program that sold it? Uh, like who? Because like Rutgers sold it. Like the only places that sell it yeah, are right. the places Tech, that are like desperate for money. Texas so they don't Tech care about like the biggest one. I'm telling and Michigan Stadium, sell it. Sell it Texas tomorrow. Tech, Maryland, Minnesota. Louisville, but that was the Papa John's thing. They got 50, 15 million for 52 years. That's a worse deal than Jenna buy their pizza. Uh, oh, Houston. I love Papa John's slander. What a sideways slap that was. That was tremendous. <laughs> I like the little cup of butter. I just drink the cup of butter and let somebody else eat the pizza. <laughs> Buckeye talk. <laughs> um, but do you think, don't you think you could get. Okay, so let's say you get four or five million a year. I was going to say eight million, but okay, I'll say five, five million dollars a year for Ohio State. I just, I don't, it's what I'm saying is I don't know what the market is. And I think that would maybe be a part of the reporting would have to be to try to talk to people to gauge that. Because if it's based on what we're seeing here, even if you're getting two or three times more than what it is for some of these lesser programs, relative again to a $234 million athletic budget, is that worth the giving up the tradition and giving up the, what will be a PR hit from some portion of your fan base? But what if you said we're going to get we're going to let this bank banks. There was a restaurant, Max and Irma's. Uh, Max and Irma's died. It was like a good little Columbus chain of American food, family 
whatever. I gotta go get the buffalo chicken sandwich. They shut down the max numbers. There's a max numbers. It's like a prime corner spot in my town. And we were like, oh, what's that going to turn into? That's a great place for a restaurant. They turned into a bank. There's a local flower shop in the other section of my town that was right on the corner. It was maybe going to be a Canes because like our Canes is so busy. There's 50 people in line. It was like, make a second Canes. It's another bank. Why are they building banks? Everything in the world is digital. I haven't gone to a bank. I go to the, the ATMs in my grocery store. Who is going to banks? Why are we building banks in the digital age when we could be building chain restaurants? Do you go to a bank? Who goes to banks? What are they doing? Why do they do it? I'm going to not go to any bank that takes a spot that should have gone to a fast, casual restaurant. I'm never going to that bank again. Do you go to banks? Why do people go to banks? Who goes to banks? Why are they building banks? Tell me. We went to a bank to, I've been to a bank three times in the last, since last summer. One was to open an account. One was to then deposit a bunch of checks we got for our wedding, which you can do with your thing, but it was just easy to go there in person because when people are writing to, when we still had both different last names, I guess we actually still do, but people are writing all sorts of weird things. So we went to the bank to deposit them. And then we actually just had a meeting there last week to talk to a financial advisor, but that'll be the last time I go to a bank till I don't know when. Tell your financial advisor to do it on Zoom like everybody else. I, I can't. I'm so aggravated. It's ruining our town. It's ruining our town. There's the, the decline of American civilization is exposed and represented by chain restaurants turning into banks. So anyway, let some stupid what? bank have the naming rights. Because if you say, oh, five million dollars. Well, they need 50 million dollars right now. Here's your deal. Five million bucks a year for 20 years. Write a check for 100 million dollars. Let's wipe out the entire debt have 50 million bucks to play with, and we'll still call it Ohio Stadium. It'll just, anytime we have to write it in the game notes, it'll say dumb bank stadium. Who cares, you stupid bank? Tomorrow, tomorrow. And please, like 614-350-3315, I just tell me what the rational human explanation beyond, well, it's what we always called it. I mean, I get it, I get it. It's money. Tell, and if you said, and then you know, we're, we're going to get $100 million, 20 years, $5 million a year, $100 million. We're using 50 to wipe out the debt, the other 50 straight to lowering ticket prices. That's it. We're going to make it cheaper for everybody who loves this team to get into the place that we've renamed that no one cares what the new name is. Dumb Bank Stadium. All right. Let's talk about Jim Harbaugh because if Brian Day was interviewing for an NFL job right now, everybody would be going zonkers. Adam Rittenberg and I talked about it last week. A lot of people I've been following John U. Bacon, who's this, you know, this tapped in author at Michigan. He does a daily update on Twitter. That is like the nobody knows anything update. But even he, he, I think on Monday, when the report came out that Harbaugh was interviewing on Wednesday in Minnesota said like, I think it's 60, 40 that he stays, but nobody knows. I've talked to people who have talked to people who have talked to people. They're definitely, and you read the reporting there is a vibe like within Michigan that people think he might go. And if you're interviewing for a job on National Signing Day, even if it's late National Signing Day, I mean, four years ago on the first Wednesday in February, Jim Harbaugh was having, I don't know, Katy Perry and Toby Keith come do a dance a jig for their recruiting announcement show. And now he's not even going to be there while he interviews for a new job. How big a deal is it that this is happening, Nathan? And how big a deal would it be if, He's not Michigan's coach. I guess those are, I mean, those are basically the same question, I suppose, for our purposes. I think it's, 
I really don't know that I think it's a massive deal um, whether he is Michigan's head coach or not. It's who do they hire instead? Do you think they could get the thing that is, I think, um, ramps it up is that it's at this point in the cycle. That I think is the big deal because I think that you you bring that question into it because I someone had posted on Twitter like odds if he leaves who the next coach might be and I think Josh Gaddis was the favorite I know Matt Campbell was in there and Bill O'Brien former Penn State coach Houston Texas coach who was Alabama's offensive coordinator this year they were the three guys that I saw pop up on the tweet I know Matt Rule is someone that we've talked about former Baylor coaches with the Carolina Panthers right now. Like, do you think they'd get somebody really good? Like, is that a good enough cadre of candidates to be like, ah, they'll be fine? Or could this, I, I, I hate hiring in a pinch, in a time crunch, because it's, I think it's really hard to get the best person for the job when you feel like we've got to have somebody here by the time spring football starts. Like, it's almost, and, and, and honestly, it's why Ohio state did what it did when Jim Tressel on Memorial day was gone. And like, they just went to Luke for a year and like, we're not, we can't rush this. We can't. And then you end up with urban Meyer. Imagine if Ohio state had been like, well, we've got to hire a permanent head coach. Boom. That's it. That's not what they did. I'm not saying Michigan would go, you know what? I'm maybe I am saying that. How about Josh Gaddis as the interim head coach? It's, it's a, it's a tryout. That'd probably be a smart move. There's no point. guarantee, but like nobody does that. I, oh, I would no. be very, I, has anybody ever done that other than what Ohio State did with Luke? And again, that was May, not February. Would Matt Campbell, Bill O'Brien, I don't like Bill O'Brien. I, I think by the end at, at, at Penn State, I think Bill O'Brien was like burned out on college football. I, I don't know that I want him running a college football program. He's a good offensive mind. Go be an offensive coordinator in the NFL. Go be a head coach in the NFL again. I, I don't know that I want him like hanging out with boosters and donors and sh- molding 18-year-olds. Uh, Matt Campbell, again, I think probably, you know, he's been a name out there all the time, but Gaddis as an interim guy is suddenly very attractive to me, but it seems unlikely. I mean, there's definitely still some, you know, assistant coaches out there or head coaches at lower levels who would, would, I think, probably do a capable job at Michigan. The question is whether or not, like you're saying, are you getting the guy you want? I mean, it's when you make a hire, you're putting yourself typically into like at least a three-year window. If, if things go bad that you're you have to give it a, a chance whereas if you do what you're talking about with Gaddis where you call it more of an interim promotion see how it goes then you give yourself some rope so I think that's probably what would make sense especially considering he is a legitimate head coaching candidate in his own right like if, if Urban yes. Meyer hadn't been available I, I you have better insight on how that would have played out with Luke after that season if you know what I'm saying? I mean, it was a bad season, but they knew it was going to be a bad season because of the circumstances. And yeah. if there isn't an Urban Meyer out there, who knows what happens as far as where they yeah, go? No, from I, there. Yeah, I, I think if Urban had not existed or had said no, I, th- I think it might have come down to Luke Fickle and Bo Pelini, which again is like one of those baby. Um, and I don't know where they would have gone, but it's an interesting. But by the way, one of the funnier things, like Ohio State, like never wanted us, like never, they never called him the interim while he was the interim. We were like, he's the interim. They were like, no, he's the head coach. And it's like, now it's like, you look back, it's like, they don't treat him like a head coach. They treat him like an interim. Right. So like, it's okay. He was an interim. So I'd be curious what Michigan would do, but let's just do the thought exercise. Imagine if Ryan Day was interviewing for a head coaching job on Wednesday. What would, what would we be talking about right now, Nathan? And what would Ohio State fans be thinking? You know, it hadn't even really until you, started on this podcast dawned on me the correlation between that interview and the 
first day of the late signing period. Like that is some really curious timing. Now, I don't know what Michigan has going on with its class. Maybe it's insignificant, right? Maybe they only have like a Carson Hensman that's already, he would have already signed if he could have, but they're making him wait to do the facts until tomorrow, whatever. Like if if that's all they have, then it is kind of insignificant. If you're going to be maybe having to do some wheeling and dealing on that day to like land a late recruit, keep a late recruit, whatever, um, you know, I I don't think like, you know, we don't know if Amari Abor is going to sign with Ohio State tomorrow. So if Ryan Day were interviewing with the Vikings and Amari Abor decided to go somewhere else, I think people would be annoyed, don't you? Like it's not it's not yeah. great optics. No, and it's I I've been reading some Michigan beat writers and stuff on Twitter and just like the vibe of it, it is like it's like Jim like Jim Harbaugh doesn't care. Like Jim Har- but it does feel like if you're doing this, it's like if you get offered an NFL job, you're gonna take it. Now all it's now it's not in Michigan's court. I don't think it's in Michigan's court anymore. Vegas was the job a lot of people thought would be the one for him. They hired Josh McDaniels. Michigan, uh, the Miami Dolphins job, the owner of the Dolphins, is a huge Michigan booster. He has said, I don't want to take Jim Harbaugh away from Miami. On one hand, it's a natural connection. On the other hand, he doesn't want to torpedo the program he loves. But I I wonder if that could come back around to that of like, listen, man, I'm leaving anyway. I can either come work for you or I can leave and go work for somebody else, but like it's run its course here. It really feels like it's like it's run its course. And now it's just a matter of, can he find a, find a landing spot or not? He's not going to quit, but he would not be crawling back to Michigan, but it wouldn't be like, I chose you. It wouldn't be the Leonardo DiCaprio. If they do the Leonardo DiCaprio meme, I'm staying, whatever I'm effing staying from that movie about wolves. Then like, that's a lie. Cause it's well, like, I didn't get an offer. I didn't get an effing offer. I have to stay. I don't have a choice. And that's the meme. I don't think that meme exists. Well, you remember that smoke was out there a year ago at this time that he was trying to get NFL jobs. And then he ends up taking, like, imagine if they put that meme out last year when he took a pay cut to stay at Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> I'm staying for half the money. <laughs> half the money. And that's like, and that is a difference. Like if, you know, I, I don't think like Ryan Day, ever got to the point where it was like, Oh, I want to be an NFL head coach right now. I just didn't get an offer. Like I don't, that's not what this was. It was just like, yeah, you talk maybe or whatever. I don't, I don't, I don't know what happened, but if that's what happened, it's like, yeah, you talk, whatever. I don't know. But like, he wants to be here. I don't think, I think Jim Harbaugh is, is ready to leave Michigan and it makes for quite an interesting next couple of days. Uh, I thought it was we, interesting that you, you were, you were trying to draw a connection between or read some tea leaves that Mike McDonald leaving to go to the Ravens. You thought was maybe an indication that he didn't expect Harbaugh to be back. And I, when it first happened, I didn't think of that necessarily either, that I kind of just said, well, I'd rather be the court, defensive coordinator of the Ravens than the defensive coordinator of Michigan. And he's an, more of an NFL guy than a college guy. So that didn't seem like that crazy to me, but I guess I could see what the cause and effect there potentially. But I, I am, I'm almost meant it more from like the John Harbaugh side of things. Of like, listen, I let my brother take this guy before because he was a lower level assistant here with the Ravens. And it was like, hey man, you need a defensive coordinator. You should take this guy. He's great. And then he went and then it was like, ah, I need him right back. Like, would you do that to your brother? If your brother was like, man, I'm trying to win a national championship here next year. We got JJ McCarthy. We got Donovan Edwards. We like our recruiting class. I need this guy to run a high level defense. Let me have him for one more year. Right. That that maybe would John Harbaugh have done that to his brother. If he thought his brother was completely locked in at Michigan. Now you got to do what you got to do. I get it. But that's sort of what I meant by like, is that some kind of little thing? All right, we got to do NIL real quick before we get out of here. Next on Buckeye Talk.
Doug and Nathan. All right. Ross Dellinger was tweeting some stuff. I don't even know where, I don't even know where Lane Kiffin is saying this stuff. Is, are they having is, is, is may have just old... been a similar thing to what we had yesterday. I don't know. I guess maybe, maybe that was it, but like Lane Kiffin was basically talking about um, NIL and how some schools are just like, you're just buying players now. And some schools can pay a lot more money than other schools. And what college football and college sports, what has happened, what they've chosen to do is to make it allowable to pay players to come. And that is where we are. Lane Kiffin, this is quoting Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated, what Lane Kiffin said. We don't have the funding resources as some schools with the NIL deals. It's like dealing with salary caps. Uh, Kiffin says some schools can pay five to 10 times more. Quote, I joked, I didn't know if Texas A&M incurred a luxury tax with how much they paid for their signing class. More Lane Kiffin. There are schools with no shot to recruit certain players. If a class has an average of $25 million, that's a million dollars a person. And NFL free agency players go to the most money. These players are 17 and 18. They're going to go where they get paid most. You've legalized paying players. So NIL, great, fine. Everybody make as much money as you can. Get back to me when it affects the football. Is this, are we now at the, it's affecting the football stage of things. But on the other hand, I don't know, was Ole Miss ever beaten LSU and Alabama and Georgia for players before Texas A&M, which is, has the number one class in the country and seems to have very effectively maneuvered in the NIL world might be the best example of this specifically. And it's the one that Lane Kiffin is citing, but it's not like Purdue or Illinois or Vanderbilt or Kentucky or Mississippi state signed the best class in the country. Cause all of a sudden they had some booster say, here's a hundred million bucks to do NIL. Are we at the point where it's affecting the football or are we not quite there? I think we probably are at the point where it is going to have uh, some effects um, for some athletes. You know, we saw there's a bunch of smaller deals out there, too. You don't even have to talk about the Texas A&M 25, 30 million. You know, Texas has got something set up where every offensive lineman gets 50 grand a year and, and stuff like that. And a lot of these are happening again, through something I wrote about last week, which is a, the concept of these collectives, which is the thing that Schottenstein and, and Cardell Jones are, are trying to kind of get going at Ohio State, at least a version of that. Here's my thing with Kiffin. I don't know who he's yelling at because the NCAA is not going to do that. Like the NCAA can't do this. We jumped past the NCAA being able to intervene. All of these Well, well states, they certainly, well, I guess that's no, true. All the, these the states state have their own laws now we, that supersede yeah. the NCAA. The NCAA, um, is a bad organization that fooled around for a long time with this and didn't do the right thing. Didn't get out in front of it. And now they are the dog getting wagged by the tail. And that's the way it's going to be unless you get some natural or some national um, legislation. But I don't think that's very close to happening. If people have been paying attention, it's not a very cooperative environment right now at the, at the national level. I don't know what bill is going to get passed that would solve this. So I don't really know who, he's yelling at i understand maybe just kind of yelling in frustration when he says i mean he has another paragraph in here um somehow they're going to have to control nil you've got these salary caps schools giving players millions to sign before they play and other places not able to do that what would the nfl look like if two or three teams could pay 10 times more in salary cap i i just don't know the nca is not set up that way even if the nca hadn't crapped its pants on setting up nil rules it's not set up that way institutionally. You would have to completely revamp what the NCAA is and the, and the cooperation that exists across 
all of at least across all of power five. So unless there becomes more, um, unless there become like all the power five, the power five autonomy conferences were to somehow get together and set up uniform rules that apply to this and limit it. But I bet you're probably exposing yourself to some legislate or some litigation when you do that. Right. Cause now all these players are going to say, wait a second, why are you know, why are you artificially setting a market again? That's what this all comes back to. Like he's, you know, he wants, it's, it's Lane Kiffin basically saying, going back to, we can't pay the players too much. So, all right, we, uh, let's, let's talk about it. Ohio state specifically then, because um, I mean, what it is, it's like, well, it's like major league baseball where there are teams that spend 10 times more money than other teams. And it's kind of jacked up, but it's not like every sport has a salary cap and college football never had a salary cap. The biggest schools were already spending 10 times, more, but, but we all knew that. So and, yes. And college football programs, Many of them, some of them, the best ones, Ohio State included, were already outspending yeah. some of their even conference rivals at that same uh, the, the same discrepancy he's talking about. So what's the deal? What's the latest deal? What matters with Ohio State? I'm I'm frankly bored by all of this. Good luck getting all the money to all the players. Um, but like we don't track. I, I don't care about Odell Beckham's endorsements. I don't care about. Patrick Mahomes' endorsements. I don't care how much money he makes from that. I just want to watch him play football. So just like the making of the money well, and all this, I, I don't care. So what should anybody care about as it relates to Ohio State and what you've been reporting on in the last week or so? Well, I think you bring up an actually an interesting point, a quick tangent I want to go on. That, is that the solution Kiffin wants? Because in the NFL, everybody gets paid, and you have a salary cap per team that they get to spend on their players, and then the endorsements happen outside of that. So they're not affecting what team you play for, really. I mean, there is a little bit, New York, L.A., Miami, whatever. People want to live in Texas, Texas, not pay taxes or whatever. So there is a little bit of that, but it doesn't affect as much the team that gets put together as it is probably going to in college sports because they don't want to do their – uh, rosters that way. They don't want to. Um, they don't want to pay players. Uh, as it relates to Ohio State, we were getting a lot of questions. I wrote a piece last week, like I said, because we're getting a lot of questions, especially in the wake of that Texas A&M number getting out there. Which again, the twenty-five to thirty million, it hasn't been verified, but I've talked to enough people at Ohio State and other places that they also believe it's within the realm of possibility that that number is legitimate. So until somebody clarifies that, uh, that's going to just kind of I mean, hang out on, there as it's a It's on a message board. It's, it's nothing. Right. It's garbage information that well, people have taken it, with and run, but it also might be true. But like where it came from is nothing. Exactly. It's a, it's, a, it's a suspect source. But as we talked about before on the, uh, the state of the uh, beat thing a couple months ago, that different message board posters have different levels of knowledge. Anyway. At Ohio State, so fans were immediately asking, like, wait a second, why is Ohio State getting left behind? Well, first of all, again, we don't know that the number is legitimate. Secondly, then Ohio State puts out that it was actually the national leader in all these categories from open doors. And my understanding from talking to people at Ohio State was their initial approach to NIL was a little bit more restrictive than what the state law would allow. Like the state law didn't prohibit them from doing some of the things that they chose not to do in the first six months of NIL, as far as like helping directly helping the athletes set up their deals. And now that's changing. That was the announcement of how state made last week, essentially that now they're going to change the way they do that. And especially as it relates to these collectives that are coming together, I think you're going to see now it's going to be easier for that money 
to be brought into Ohio State and then distributed to the players. So that's something I would keep my eye on in the, in the next six months, next year. I talked to a representative from Open Doors yesterday, kind of clarifying some of those numbers Ohio State was putting out. But And I texted this out to our, our followers today that he's basically saying like Ohio State led for the first six months, but that number you saw, that $3 million number, that's going to mean like nothing in the next six months. And then like two years from now, forget about it. Like this is going to start taking off exponentially just as far as the amount of money that gets put in. And I think it's something to, it is something to monitor because as we talked about before is, is the support so rabid at Ohio state that you're going to have boosters willing to step up now that, now that there is an Avenue for it, are boosters going to step up to that level? It's we've gotten to the point now where it won't be on Ohio state. I think that's maybe the best way to say it. Ohio state's getting out of the way, any restriction that it was previously putting to having that sort of revenue is out of the way. So are the boosters stepping up and putting that money on the table? I think it's okay that Lane Kiffin is yelling about it because the players should be able to do what they can do in the free market, but it is nuts. I mean, it is like that, that because college sports are different because everybody acts like there's the value in college sports is fake, right? When, when Odell Beckham has an endorsement, it's because that company thinks they can make money off of his endorsement. So they pay you this much so they can make this much. They don't give Odell Beckham an endorsement just because they think he's cool. Because it's like, oh, I own a company and I love Odell Beckham Jr. Here's, here's $10 million. That's not how business works. This is not business, right? So the, 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 the business part of it, the businesses are going to figure out, hey, you signed this guy to NIL deal so that he could tweet. Hey, I went to this grocery store. You're not getting your bang for your buck on that. I'm not, I'm, good luck to the players getting the money. You're not making people go to that grocery store. I'm just telling you. But boosters want to pay players because they love the team. That's the, that's the thing of all this. It's like people are like, oh, let them get money in the open market. It's like, it's not an open market. It's an insane person craft bazaar. It's not the real world. It's like an amusement park. It's like when you go to Disney World or a casino and money loses all meaning because you're trapped in there and there's no clock and it's like the prices of everything are through the roof. It's not the real world In professional sports, all this stuff, the endorsement side of it is the real world in college football. It's a casino amusement park, man. Chips are flying all over the place. Why? Why not? I'm having fun. Woo. Roll a hard seven. What? I don't even know what that means. I never played craps. Could not oh. understand one thing about craps. It's great. I'll teach you because it's, Craps is very intimidating when you first walk up to the table because it's like the floor of the stock exchange, right? It's just people yelling yeah. gibberish and throwing money around. But to actually like play craps is pretty simple. But you can get – can't you wind up with like 10 bets on the table that get wiped out instantaneously if you're not careful? Right. I would suggest not doing it that way. Okay. That, my friend who played craps, that's how he did it. And, and I was like, it's, I don't want to do it that way. Yeah, you can do it that way because then because also when your number hits, then all those bets come in or a bunch, you know, at a time, whatever. Anyway, but to get back to I understand what you're saying. I understand the stance you're taking. I'm just my my stance hasn't changed. If anyone's going to argue that the that the player market needs to be closed in some way on earnings, then you have to also argue that the coach market must be closed the same way. Right. Or you have to. Yeah, you have to you have to pay the players directly. Right. The reason that. Whatever any pro athlete makes in endorsements, they, it's not their main salary. For a few guys, you might make more in endorsements than you do from your actual salary. But most guys, it's like, well, that's the extra. In college sports, I don't know how much you'd have to pay for, for the 
what you're getting from the school to become the, the main thing and the endorsements to be the extra. But I just because there's not an easy solution doesn't mean you can't yell and complain about it. Buckeye talk. So I understand what it I it I, it needs tweaking, I think. I'm not saying that players should be able to make money. The hodgepodge of rules from every different state all over the place, the so-called governing body just gave up and ran away is like it's it's not great. So I get why he's yelling, but good I, luck making money to the players. And just as again, for our I think our listeners, the thing that they matter they care about the most is is Ohio State going to fall behind here? And the rep from Open Doors that I talked to, and again, Ohio State is a client of Open Doors, so keep that in mind. But so are most other teams, a lot of other teams. He says, "Don't worry, that Ohio State's not going to get left behind here." Yeah, Open Doors, that whole thing—I don't even know what that is. Is it a, was it a robot or a person that you talked to? Well, it was a very human-like robot at worst. No, I don't want to. No, I don't want to like. It wasn't a Zoom call. I can't. It was was a phone call. Phone call, or maybe he's just talking through whatever device has been implanted in him. The the group that's going to like be the collective for the Ohio State money and then distribute it, are the people running that going to make money off of it? It's a a nonprofit. I don't know if they are going to – they they didn't have a lot of details. They were kind of announcing that they're doing it. They didn't have a lot of details. But again, but that's also – that's one collective. Like you don't have to – like it's not limited to just like one per school. So like if somebody else, if there's some other big money donor out there, if Les Wexner wanted to start his own, you know, uh, Victoria's Secret, um, whatever L brand, whatever they're called, uh, collective to raise money to give to NIL to give NIL funds to Ohio State athletes, he could do that too. It could just be in addition to that, and that's what it is. It's going to have to come from multiple sources like that. That I would be that I would be interested in, like the Dewan Jones lingerie line from the uh, new Les Ugh. Wexner collective. It's like, uh, you wouldn't necessarily think that college football players would make the best endorsers for lingerie, but you would be wrong. All right. I really, I just, um, I'm, I'm, if, if you don't go up to Dewan Jones and ask him if he'd be willing to do a Victoria's Secret lingerie line for NIL money, the next time you see him, I'm resigning. Okay. If you see Dewan Jones start to choke me, you'll know that I asked him. I'll, the, I'll intervene as much <laughs> as possible. That's my that's my promise to you. Uh, I feel like I got to after all this stuff. Like I just want to go talk about football. I'm going to go watch some Jim Knowles defensive schemes and uh, wash my body from a college football money talk and go back to football. All right. We're going to have lots of interviews with lots of players on Wednesday. We're going to have podcasts on Thursday and Friday talking about that. We won't talk about money for a while. For now, for Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.